Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. And today, I'm going to be telling you guys about Elizabeth Faria. Today, I am drinking an orange old-fashioned. Interesting. And I am drinking hot coffee. And now, I know I recommend a lot of hot coffee, a lot of coffee in general, but I found these K-Cups, and I'm only telling you guys because I love you, and because I want you guys to experience heaven on in your mouth as well, but Green Mountain has these K-Cups that are maple pecan, and they are so good. Abby's making a face. And I... they are so, so good that I then found out that they are seasonal, so they're in the white boxes instead of the normal green boxes for green mountain and so i went back and bought multiple more boxes so that i can have them for the rest of my life hopefully i have never been a fan of green mountain but speaking of maple pecan um i was in red river gorge for new year's eve and i went to this local coffee shop in kentucky and got a couple bags of seasonal coffee that's fantastic so when you come visit me Um, We're definitely going to try some of it. Absolutely. Also, do you have a Keurig? No, I do not. I was going to say I'd bring you a K-Mountain cup or a a K-Mountain, a Green Mountain K-Cup. We had one for a while, but it got to the point where we just never used it. And so it was just kind of pointless. That's fair. The one that we have, it's my roommate's, but she brought it. It's the coffee pot and the K-Cup thing together. Mm. So it is very nice because then you can use either. But Abby got me, because she loves me, when she went to Puerto Rico, she got me some coffee. And that stuff is also heaven in your mouth. So Mm -hmm. I've got lots of coffee recommendations if anybody wants them. Also, obviously, fire department coffee, for sure. But been expanding my horizon a little. So grab whatever you're drinking and let's dive in. All right, guys, so we are back, and we hope that you're still with us, because all of our episodes in December, we announced that our editor, Mike, was going to be leaving us, and we miss him. He was fantastic, but he had his own life to focus on and things that were just coming up that he needed to go and take care of, which is absolutely, totally fine. Um, absolutely no hard feelings. We completely love him and he was the best editor ever. So anyways, that said, um, unfortunately I, Erica will be editing the episodes from now on. And so I say, unfortunately, because I don't have a whole lot of experience in this realm. And so you guys are going to be getting those off script episodes that our bonuses were on Patreon. So We hope that you're still here. We hope that you're willing to listen to us. We did have another listener reach out to us saying that she would be interested in editing. But I think at this time, Abby and I decided that, well, I say I think for sure at this time, Abby and I decided that we're just going to try it with the two of us to see how that goes. 
if it's absolutely terrible and you guys all of a sudden hate us, let us know. <laughs> um, and we'll make some changes again. <laughs> or not. I don't know. We'll see how this goes. But you guys know how to get in touch with us. Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Um, so, please be patient. This is my first episode that I'll be editing. It's going to be more off script. So, some of the more bantery kind of things are going to be in it. So, we'll see. Hopefully, you guys still like it. So, our story is about Elizabeth Faria, who was born on March 24th, 1969. And she ended up at some point in time getting married to a man named Russell. And the two of them had two daughters together. And were living in Troy, Missouri, which is about an hour outside of St. Louis. And... I didn't say it, but Elizabeth, see, already messing up. Look at that. But Elizabeth went by Betsy. So I'm going to call her Betsy. So Betsy worked at a state farm office in Troy, Missouri. And while she was working there, she met Pamela Hupp, who went by Pam. And Pam was about 10 years older than Betsy, but they developed a really quick friendship. However, a lot of this friendship was that coworker friendship that you have And if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, it's that friendship that you have when you guys work together and you can be super close, but then you stop working together. And for whatever reason, the friendship just can kind of fall apart. Um, Fun fact for you guys, if you did not know, Abby and I actually became friends through work. Granted, we went to elementary, middle and high school together. We were friends in elementary school until she started (laughs) hating me. And then... (laughs) Um, we were not really friends in high school until we started working together. And that's what brought us not like, even after we started working together, like we worked together in between our junior and senior year. We kind of talked our senior year, but it was really after high school that we got close. So we're coming up on our 10 year friend anniversary, by the way. Wow. That'll be this year, which is insane. We're old. Yeah. I've got, I don't want to talk photos that. that I found from my mom's house of a birthday party in first or second grade that Erica's at. Probably kind of the end of our friendship. Um, which ended depending I on who you talk to. Erica has a very made up story to tell <laughs> I, you guys real quick. So it's not made up. I remember it. It was traumatic. I was at Abby's house. And her older sister was getting ready for a date. And as she was getting ready, she had a glass of milk. And she, I accidentally spilled this glass of milk on her. Which if you guys know me, I spill things a lot. So this does not seem that far off. And I accidentally spilled the glass of milk on her right before her date. And she got really mad at me. And then Abby took her sister's side and stopped talking to me. And what is far off about this story is I would have freaking applauded this. My sister and I butted heads our entire (laughs) childhood. I would have been all for this. Erica and I would have been best friends forever if this happened. So we have a few moments in recognize lives where we have to just agree to disagree most of them are podcast related but this is one of the few that are not podcast related it's because i'm right and yeah. abby just doesn't yep want to admit yep it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> her sister also does not remember this and neither does her mom so i do get that like i'm the oddball out here 
Imagine that. <laughs> but it is what I remember. <laughs> so anyways, my point was, Abby and I had one of those more relationships based on work, but ours stuck it out. And I've had other friendships who have been like really close with at work and that you just kind of fall out of touch when you stop working together. And back to the story, that's what happened with Betsy and Pam. Then, sometime in 2010, Betsy learns that she has breast cancer and somehow gets back in touch with Pam during this time and their friendship re-sparks and Pam's kind of a big support for Betsy during this whole time with dealing with breast cancer and chemo and all of the things. When she first got diagnosed, the doctors told her that she had three to five years to live and so... Betsy and her husband, Russ, decided that they were just going to make the most of the time that they had together. They were going to try to fulfill a lot of their dreams in life. And one of Betsy's dreams that she'd had was to swim with dolphins. So in November of 2011, they went on a cruise that they kind of referred to as a celebration of life. And Betsy was actually able to swim with dolphins. So I'm sure she was super happy about that, especially if that's what she had been wanting, you know, for her entire life. So during this time, Betsy, like I said, was really relying on her friend Pam to go to chemotherapy and to just be that person to really talk to outside of her husband. And one of the things that Betsy confided in Pam about is she was really worried about the well-being of her children and related to finances after she would pass away because she was really worried that Betsy, no, she was really worried that Russ would not be able to handle the money. And she was kind of worried that he was just going to like spend it all and give it away or whatever, be really careless with the money. So on December 23rd, 2011, she ended up, Betsy ended up deciding that Pam Hupp would become the sole beneficiary of her $150,000 life insurance policy because she did not want her husband, Russ, to end up with the money. And I'm assuming Pam was like, you know, I'll help, like, take care of your daughters. Like, I will make sure that they get some and that it's not all just, like, gone to waste. Whatever deal they put into place. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. later on December 27th 2011 Betsy texts her husband and says hey we're on our way home from chemotherapy once again Pam had taken her and Russ was having a very normal I believe it was a Tuesday don't quote me on that I guess I think it's a Tuesday so he was having a very normal day he had a game night with his friends once a week and so he was at that game night and he texted with Betsy for a little bit about chemotherapy and about 
their dog and picking up dog food and things. And he eventually ended up leaving game night, calling his wife around nine o'clock and she doesn't pick up. He's like, you know, she typically feels tired after chemotherapy. She's probably asleep. So I'll just talk to her when I get home or like just check on her then. So he gets home and he starts calling out for Betsy and he doesn't hear anything. And then he goes into the living room and sees her laying on the couch. And so he crouches down beside her and realizes that there is a pool of blood all around. And so he screams and is start like yelling for her. And he sees that she has a knife sticking outside of her, out of her neck and that she has gashes on her wrist. And so he thinks that she committed suicide and apparently she had been hospitalized before for threatening to kill herself and possibly even attempting and he knew that she obviously was struggling with her diagnosis of cancer and so he thought that maybe she had just ended up taking her own life so he calls 911 and he tells the dispatcher hey like I think my wife killed herself like she has always had these suicidal thoughts, and now I think that she actually, like, killed herself. So, police get there and immediately are like, she did not kill herself. She ended up, through the autopsy, they were able to determine that she had 55 stab wounds, including through her eye, and then she had the wounds on, the wounds on her arms, but they were cut down to the bone. Okay, before you even, like, finished that thought, I was going to say that would be a very odd way for, or an unstatistical, oops, an unstatistical way for a woman to kill herself by stabbing herself through the neck. But, yes, that many wounds, definitely not suicide. Correct. It was, I mean, but obviously, coming and stumbling on this scene, I could see, especially with the slashed wrist, that is a typical way for like a typical suicidal method so I could see why he probably wasn't thinking clearly and that was his first thought but the autopsy and the knife sticking out of the neck yeah and then also like you said not typical for a woman so anyways police were very clearly like absolutely not so they were like this is a murder like your wife was actually murdered and so police talk with Russ. He doesn't know a whole lot, but he's like, you know, my wife's friend Pam brought her home from chemotherapy. She was probably the last one, like maybe <clears throat> like maybe she saw something, maybe she heard something, I don't know. And so police reach out to her and she's like, you know, I just took her to chemotherapy. I dropped her off. She was tired. I helped her get settled in and then I I left to go home. But she starts talking to the police about how Russ has a really violent temper. And she's like, I think you should check, like, Betsy's computer and stuff. And, like, Betsy made me the life insurance beneficiary because she was worried about Russ not being trusted with her money. And, like, that just happened the other day. Then she also says that Betsy was planning on telling Russ that night that she was leaving him. And police were like, well, that seems suspicious. So they start to look and they get on her computer and in their process of searching things and they find a note that Betsy had written where she was talking about how she was really scared of her husband and so police were like okay well Russ must have killed his wife like first off husband's always the first suspicious person or spouse I guess is always the most suspicious person the first suspect that you're going to look at 
And then they start looking at it and they see that there's these different markers that could, that make him even more suspicious. And so they're like, he must've been pissed that his wife was going to leave him. And they check his alibi. Cause like I said, he has his game night. And so they check with his friends and his friends were like, he spent the night with us. Like he was here, he was playing games and the police were like, no, like it was probably him. And then when they're checking with him, they find blood on his slippers. And so they're like, that's also weird. Gonna say it's probably him. Were his slippers in the house at the time? Like, is it possible that blood got on them when she got stabbed 55 times? Well, I I guess they were in the house at the time, yes. And that I don't know if they were thinking that he was wearing them during the murder and then, like, took them off and changed out of his outfit and mm. just, like, forgot his slippers or something. I don't know how much blood was on the slippers, I'll be honest. Either way, they end up charging Russ with Betsy's murder the day after her funeral. And at his trial, his lawyer was not allowed to suggest that it could have been anybody else, specifically Pam Hupp. Because people were talking, well, maybe it was her because she wanted the life insurance money. And the lawyer was barred from suggesting that. And so the jury ends up finding Russ guilty, sentencing him to life in prison plus 30 years in December of 2013. Russ continues to maintain his innocence throughout the entire thing. He's like, it wasn't me. I, like, he refuses to admit to it. I don't believe he even took a plea deal. He's just like, I didn't kill my wife. So he is keeps trying to say, like, I think you really need to look at Pam. Like, my my wife's best friend, like, is very suspicious. You need to look at her. And he also brings up, which I guess during the trial, they'd kind of talked about a couple things that maybe didn't add up. The slippers being one of them. Because one of the witnesses said that the slip, that his slippers looked like they had been purposefully dipped in the blood. Not like they just had blood splatter put well, on Well, and also, he had witnesses that literally said he wasn't there, that they were with, that he was with them. No, I, yeah. I, they just, I think it's, unfortunately, we've seen it in so many of our wrongful convictions. It's one of those cases where police have a narrative and they try to fit that and they don't look at all of the different pieces. The other thing that they suggest during the trial that could have been kind of something used to frame Russ was that document that was on Betsy's computer. Because it could have been made by anybody. It wasn't like it was in her handwriting or anything. It was just typed up. And it also does seem kind of strange for her just to have a random letter on her computer about how she hates her husband. Yeah, you would think that would have been like one, either sent to somebody or to, I don't know, that, I don't know where I'm going with number two, but I also wonder if they looked at the timestamp on that and when the document was made. That's a good point. I'm not sure if they did, but that would be a really good way to tell. Was it made that same night that she was murdered? Because that seems odd. But also, I mean, depending on who the killer was, they could have replan some things i don't know i so maybe they looked maybe they didn't the other thing that got brought up was that pam's story changed multiple times 
and police just kind of overlooked it. So one of the things was that she initially told them she had not entered the house when she dropped Betsy off. Then she's like, no, I actually went in there to turn on the light. And then she was like, no, actually, I went in there and I helped her get like settled in in her bedroom. And no, excuse me. Then I went in there and helped her get settled in on the couch. Then she also said something about how she may have been on the couch when she left. Like Betsy may have been on the couch when Pam left, but she also may have walked her to the door to like see her out. Like her story just kept changing and it wasn't making sense. So Russ is really trying to maintain his innocence and put the heat on Pam. He's like, you need to focus on Pam. It was not me. I did not kill my wife. And Pam's like, it was not me. I like here's what I'm hiding kind of thing. And then said, I'm hiding the fact that Betsy and I had a romantic relationship and Russ was not happy about it. And he found out about it. And that's why he murdered Betsy. Took a turn there. Yeah. So nobody was really believing Pam at this point. I think things are starting to add up and the judge ends up on November or in November of 2015, acquitting Russ Faria of the murder of his wife he ends up suing the city and winning a two million dollar settlement in a civil suit against the prior prosecutor prior prosecutor and detectives for ignoring evidence i have to say he served two almost two years in prison for the murder of his wife which is highly 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 unfortunate not great but i have seen we have seen wrongful conviction cases where people have served longer than that and not gotten $2 million. They've gotten a million for serving 10 years or 15 years or whatever. Like I, and we've talked about it before. No amount of money will ever make it okay for you to serve time for a crime that you didn't commit due to negligence on the detective's part or the jury's part or the court system or whoever. But I feel like this is one of those few, few, few situations where the money is actually not, it doesn't add up, like even out the crime, but it, it actually is something. I feel like, cause normally I feel like it's absolutely nothing. And in this one, I feel like he actually got some sort of justice in suing the state. Absolutely. To throw everything for kind of a loop into confuse the situation a little bit more in august of 2016 pam gets home and she pulls into her driveway and when she gets there and she's like getting walking into her house a stranger jumps out of the car and holds her at knife point and says take me to a bank and get me russ's money and she's like well i like i don't i don't no, like, hang on, let me get something from inside the house. So she, like, tries to go in the house, and she knocks the knife out of his hand and then runs into the house, and this guy follows her, and she has, like, runs into the bedroom, and he follows her into the bedroom with the knife, and she grabs a gun and shoots him because he's trying to attack her for Russ's money, which is that life insurance policy. And police are called. They get there. When they get there... They find a note on the body of the guy that attacked her that says, take Hup back to house, get rid of her, make look like Russ Brife, make sure knife is sticking out of her neck. Like, it's like a few, like, points, I guess. And they also found $900 on him. 
So they're thinking, like, did somebody try to pay him to come murder her to, like, get the money? Like, or to, like, come threaten her to get the money? No idea. Because throughout this whole thing, the life insurance policy, like, wasn't... I, I don't know how that works, I guess. But I assume because Betsy had wrote Pam as the beneficiary, that's where it went. So, and I don't know that it would have gone anywhere else after... Like, at this point. So, police start examining and looking through everything. And they are able to ID the guy. And he's 30-year-old Louis Gumpenberger. I think is how you say it. Louis or Louis, I guess. Well, I don't know. I should have probably looked that up before we started recording this. But please forgive me. We are going to call him Louis. So then, what they find out about our friend Louis is that he actually was in a car crash in 2005 and the car crash left him alive but he had severe permanent physical disabilities and a diminished mental capacity so had some sort of TBI and so he lived with his mom he rarely left the house and when they keep looking around town they find out that six days prior, they so a neighbor had somebody approach their house, and it was a woman, white female, driving an SUV, and she approached the house and said, hey, I'm a producer for Dateline. I want you to record this scripted soundbite for, like, that has 911 calls. I'll pay you $1,000. And initially, the woman agrees and then backs out. She's like, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. And then... When they pull up the security footage from this woman's house, they catch the SUV license plate, and it's Pam's. And so they're really confused, and they start looking into it further, knowing the information about Louie and about this other woman that she tried to recruit. They learn that Pam had asked Louie to come to his house to reenact a 911 call for Dateline. And so what she had asked was for him to come to the house and to like basically act like he was going to kill her. And then she would call 911 and they would have this whole like spiel back and forth that would be recorded for a Dateline episode. And in the process of it, she actually shot him and then staged the note and everything. And police pretty quickly catch on because that was in... That was in August of 2016, and by August 23rd, 2016, she's arrested for the murder of Louis. Two days after she's arrested, she does attempt to kill herself with a pen. She does not apparently want to be arrested, does not want to serve time in jail. As everything now that I can see, she is currently in prison serving life for Louis's murder, and I can't find any conclusion, but last I saw, she was facing first-degree murder charges for the murder of Betsy as well. And they were seeking the death penalty when I, from everything I could last find. The other thing is, police start looking into Pam even more because they're like, this woman's a little odd. Like, let's find out a little bit more. And they find out that in 2013, Pam's mother, Shirley Newman, who was 77, died because she fell off of a balcony on accident 
And so in 2017, they like investigated even further and they're like, we're not actually sure her death was accidental. So they end up changing her mom's manner of death to undetermined. And the investigation for that is still open. But two things to note about it. First one, when Shirley fell off the balcony, she had eight Ambien in her system, which is not normal. And Pam, along with her siblings, received large insurance payouts after her mother died. That sounds familiar. Seems like Pam was really just focused on the money in all of these situations. But her mom's case is undetermined at the moment. Betsy's murder, from whatever I can see, is still open, not solved. Russ was acquitted of the murder. And I don't know anything about the life insurance money, like I said. But because she's in jail, she doesn't have access to any of it right now anyways. So I'm hoping that maybe eventually it'll go to Russ. I guess if it doesn't, that I, I don't know what they'll do with it. I don't know how all that works. But anyways, that is the story of... Betsy Faria and Pam Hupp and I hope you guys enjoyed also I hope I'm saying this now as I'm recording it but I'm hoping that the editing wasn't too bad for you guys so let us know if you have any stories you guys want to hear check out our patreon because we will be posting episodes over there ad free at our three and five dollar tiers the there's a little difference between the tiers but you can find that information over there all right we will see you next week Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.